Exclusive Books is delighted to present another homebrew podcast series, a celebration of South African writers and their books. Now 25 years old, Exclusive Books Homebrew 2022 is not the same old story, but a mirror and a window into South Africa, where we are, where we've been, and where we can go. A remarkable selection of history, fiction, memoirs, current affairs, and children's books on our most pressing and relevant topics, from identity to feminism, corruption to corporates, self-love and identity, and everything in between. Incisiveness, humor, self-reflection, and hope abound. Check out the full selection in all exclusive bookstores and online. Today's episode of Homebrew is presented by author, journalist, and fearsome cruciverbalist, Jonathan Anser. Just 18 months after her outstanding debut novel, Those Who Live in Cages, was published, Terry Ann Adams has brought out White Chalk, a collection of powerful, pertinent, and poignant short stories. Terry Ann transports us into the lives of a wide range of people, all trying to find their way in a chaotic, complicated, and confusing world. There's a non-binary teen, a group of Owens, a young woman with albinism, an expectant mom counting down the days to the birth of her daughter, a daughter whose mother is battling with dementia. Terry Ann tells stories about life and death and the rites of passage in between. She deals with family dynamics, friend dynamics, and frenemy dynamics. She writes about matric dances, coming out, staying in, menstruating, the patriarchy, becoming old, losing one's innocence, and, in the case of Mr. Arnold, losing one's shoe. Each story has a twist that makes you inhale sharply. You'll want to gulp down white chalk in one sitting, but don't. It's a book that needs to be savoured. Terry Ann is a blogger, podcaster, parent, feminist, disability rights activist, and one of South Africa's most promising writers. Welcome to the Homebrew Podcast, Terry Ann. Can you please read an extract from White Chalk? Hey, Jonathan. I'm going to be reading from the first story. It's called Rockabye Baby. It's about a pregnant woman. So, yeah, let's go. Six weeks. Why do I even bother counting the days? My period is late again. This app is not at all accurate, but my period is not that reliable either. Let's give it another week. I have all the signs though. What's going on? Lol, this tweet is so bloody accurate. A period is so tricky, you dread its arrival, but you are so relieved when it shows up. The good sis was right. I retweeted that shit. I just hate having to wait for the stupid period. I'm not waiting for the cramps or the bloating, just the blood. Why am I being tortured like this by my own fucking uterus? You know what? Let me take a nap. I am at least saving on tampons this month. Seven weeks. What. The. Fuck. What did this doctor just say? Nope, I must have heard wrong. There's no fucking way this is happening. See, this is why I don't go to the doctor. You come to the surgery for a flu checkup and find out you have six weeks to live. 
I just came in for a urinary tract infection. Now I have to go home with a positive pregnancy test. Wow, what a wow. What a way to start the day. This is not what I had planned. I want kids, but not now. I'm in my 20s. I'm eating my youth. You can't eat your youth with a baby. They will eat your youth. What is Dale going to say? Jesus, what is my mother going to say? Take a deep breath. Jay, breathe. Being pregnant is not that bad. Okay, it's bad. But you have dealt with worse. You and Dale have been together for a while now, and he'll probably make a good father. He always wanted children. Okay, I'm back. Fucking hell, I'm calling an Uber. I will deal with this properly at home. Ah, I can't drink. How the fuck am I supposed to deal with this? Ten weeks. Your baby is the size of a kumquat. What the hell is a kumquat? I googled it. It's a citrus fruit like a lime. I don't know how many baby blogs one can read, but we have read them all, kumquat. It's cool how they explain exactly how a baby grows inside of you week by week. Being pregnant is weird. Different. Some days you're really in awe of the life growing inside of you. Then some days you want to die because your puke tastes so bad that it makes you puke again. Why don't men experience this shit? They'll keep saying, we are pregnant. Excuse me, sir. No, we are not pregnant. I am pregnant. You are a sperm donor and a spectator. I need to get Dale to keep his mouth shut for two more weeks. We are not out of the woods yet. He wants to tell the whole world, start a daddy Instagram account, yuck, and plan 7-Eleven baby showers. Yeah, he took the news very well. Nearly suffocated me with his I'm going to be a daddy hug. I was stunned. We had not spoken about children. Clearly, we weren't on the same page. But anyway, what an excited man. I would also be excited if I wasn't throwing up all the time. Dale is great. I hope he remains great and doesn't become a deadbeat after you're born. Am I wrong for even thinking that? He will stay, man. He's excited. He's working on my nerves with all the questions. He should read a baby blog and leave me alone. Hello, dear Kwamkwat. That is your father. Those Who Live in Cages was inspired by your grandmother who wanted you to tell her story, the stories of colored women stuck in Joburg's townships who are often forgotten by society. The characters in White Chalk are people on the margins of society. Can you talk to us about the importance of telling the stories of peoples whose voices are so often silenced? I feel that it's my duty as a person who writes for public consumption to write about everybody that I've known, that I've met, that I've encountered, the good, the bad, the strange, the weird, because I I feel like everybody deserves to be represented in a book. It was very difficult for me to find literature with people with albinism in it. It still is. And I remember when I was complaining about it to my husband. He turned around and he was like, why don't you write a story with a person with albinism in it? And that was sort of like a rallying cry for me to just, why don't I write the story that I want to read? So yeah, that's how I approach a lot of my writing. There are some stories that seem autobiographical. Do you feel vulnerable 
or does writing under a flag of fiction give you some sort of protection? Uh, you know, with white chalk, it was different than with those who live in cages. Um, with those who live in cages, that was my teenagehood, you know, um, and I could separate myself from the characters because I, I fictionalized a lot of the teenage experience in El Dorado Park. But when I wrote White Chalk, I wrote it while I was doing therapy and I had to confront a lot of my own memories and a lot of my own demons. And I decided to put them down in these stories so that I can deal with them once and for all. Because, if, you know, if they're on the page, then they can't hurt me. If they're on the page, then I can't be traumatized by them. So it was a very personal piece of work. Do the characters take on a life of their own? In other words, do they control you or do you control them? Oh, a lot of them controlled me. I mean, if I think about Mr. Arnold's, like, he, he wrote his own story. <laughs> he was not being dictated to by me, you know. So a lot of the times, especially the stories with teenagers, it was literally um, muscle memory, but also just the teenagers speaking for themselves. And then there were stories that was out of my personal depth. For example, the ones with older women, especially the one with the dementia, that I did a lot of research for and uh, actually spoke to a friend whose gran has dementia so that I could write it accurately and not uh, misrepresent something that is so personal to my friend. So yeah, it was a mixture of the two characters that controlled me and me controlling some of the characters. But as you mentioned, some of your friends and family do make it into the book. Do they recognize themselves in your stories? And then do they avoid you? <laughs> so, I'm actually, I'm thinking about it now. Um, so, so far, only my husband has found himself. The others, they're still on, on the search. And uh, it was actually very beautiful when my husband found himself. So he doesn't generally read. He's a television and movies person. For this book, he was like, okay, you read the stories to me. And then, you know, that's how I'll, I'll hear them. And I read a story and he automatically recognized a struggle of his that was in that story. And he was so tender about his reaction and he was so grateful that I could articulate what he was feeling in a fictionalized way. So, you know, the first person, it was a positive response. We'll see when the others find themselves, um, <laughs> how they react. <laughs> what made you decide to bring out a collection of short stories and not another novel? I mean, each one of these stories, I was a bit disappointed when I came to the end of them because I wanted to know more about the characters. So what made you decide to write the short stories as opposed to a novel? Sure. Jonathan, a novel. <laughs> I was so scared. I was so, so scared to follow up those living cages with another novel because I was just like, oh my gosh, what am I going to write about? I've already written about all the colored women and elders. What the hell? <laughs> and also, I was just like, do I have the time? Because I wrote those living cages over two and a half years. And my then publisher, Nadia Hutam, said to me, do you have stories? Do you write short stories? And I was like, yeah, I've got one or two. When I started practicing prose for the first time, uh, moving from being a poet, I, I started with short stories. And she was like, okay, 
let me read the one or two that you have. And she read them. And then she was like, okay, cool. Give me 16 more in the next 12 weeks. And then let's call it day. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's how I chalk was born. (laughs) So from a writing process perspective, what is the difference between writing a novel and writing a collection of short stories? With the short stories, you can time yourself, which I actually liked. It taught me a new writing style. I learned something new where I would say to myself, okay, Terry, we're going to do one a week because we've got a 12-week deadline. It was also the first time I've ever written on a deadline. And when I was writing one a week, coming up with the characters, polishing, editing, going back. I had to do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, until Sunday. You know, I had to go (laughs) all seven days (laughs) and write. Whereas with a novel, it was way more relaxed to write those adventures because I didn't even think it was going to get published. It was a friend of mine that emailed that manuscript to Jakana. I didn't think at all people would want to read it. So... I just wrote it at my leisure and when I had time. I think if I have to write a novel now, it will be different because I will probably give myself a time frame and I will probably prepare more. But yeah, it's the time thing was the big difference. What do you hope White Chalk achieves? I want people to laugh. I want them to cry. I want them to see themselves in the stories, see their relatives, see new people new characters. Because every main character in White Chalk is still a colored person, to see a diverse range of colored people. So not just township colored, but like I said, every different type of colored person you can find, I wanted to put down in the collection. When Those Who Live in Cages came out, you said your dream of being a published author had just been realized. Now you've written a second book, Do you still feel the adrenaline rush of being published? I still can't believe people read my stuff. (laughs) I'm actually still, I'm still in that world where I'm like, oh my gosh, people actually read those 11 cases and they liked it and it was on TV and stuff. So yeah, I'm still like starstruck with everything, everything in the publishing process. I never take for granted the fact that people take time to sit and read something that I wrote. And I'm always forever grateful to every reader that reads one of my pieces. The readers should be grateful that they are reading it because what I've read is really, really outstanding. These are stories that you have to savor. They are excellent stories. You manage to pack so much into each story. And not only that, you manage to pack a knockout blow at the end. The endings will take you by surprise and just transport you somewhere else. And I think that's a real skill. Thank you Um, so much. What is it like holding your book for the first time? Yeah, I remember when the box came to the house and we all opened it up. Uh, You know, everybody was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And especially with White Chalk, because we loved the cover so much. And White Chalk, my family watched me write it. With those 11 cages, I was very secluded. I wrote it alone. And with White Chalk, my family actually watched me write the short story collection and finish it. So everybody felt, you know, involved and and felt like this was their victory. So, yeah, it was a wonderful moment. And finally, Terry Ann, what the hell happened to Mr. Arnold's shoe? Listen, the day he finds his shoes, it's going to be the day that he leaves that place. The day he finds his shoes. <laughs> 
Terry Ann has an impressive way with words. Her stories are compelling, her characters are authentic, and the twists, surprises, and shocks will get under your skin. White Chalk is a wise, whimsical, and wistful collection of wonderful stories. Read it, then read it again. Thank you, Terry Ann. Thank you so much, Jonathan. This exclusive books homebrew podcast was spread far and wide with the help of Vodapay. Vodapay is a super app that is available on all mobile networks. On the app, anyone from any network can send and receive money, pay bills, and shop the amazing deals all in one place. It really is one app for anything and everything. If you like it, Vodapay it.